day, everyone, and welcome back to the Not Safe for Work Photography Podcast. There are thousands of models and photographers creating adult content using modern platforms and taking control of their own creative lives. Today, we're interviewing Ayla Moon, also known as Ayla Evangelista. Ayla has been modeling for almost five years. She is a 47-year-old mother and a professional cosmetics consultant. Ayla credits modeling for drastically increasing her self-confidence and body acceptance. She is probably most well-known for her boudoir and fetish modeling, but has experience in many different genres from fashion to conceptual. Ayla places an emphasis on positively representing both mature and full-figured models in the industry. Her favorite part of modeling is traveling, meeting other artists, and creating unique art. How's it going tonight, Ayla? I'm well, Matthew. Thank you for having me, and I hope you're doing good also. I am doing pretty good. We're more than halfway done through the week, so I am super excited. Yay, on the downside. I know, right? Ah, Just coasting. Ayla, how did you get involved in modeling? Well, it was quite unintentional. Um, As an undergrad in college, I was an art major with an emphasis on photography and printmaking. Now, mind you, this was back in the mid to late 90s when we didn't have digital cameras and it was all film and 35 millimeter, dark rooms, all that fun stuff. So at the time, um, let's see, almost five years ago, a friend of mine who had been in school with me at my university and we had done photography classes together, he wanted to set up a studio locally to do portraits, family portraits, wedding photography, maternity photography, and things like that. So he asked me for my help since I knew the equipment, knew like a dark room set up and that type of thing. So I did work with him and we got the studio set up and running and I would help out in certain instances. And it was through my friend and working with him in that capacity that I started to meet local like Richmond area photographers. I live in Farmville, Virginia, right in the middle of Virginia. So Richmond is the closest city to me. So some photographers would come through and use his space, which he would rent out to them. I would help them out sometimes. And because of that, I was a stand-in for a model at one point. And I didn't really want to do it, but I didn't want to be rude and there wasn't really any other option. So I did it and I really enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was very natural. The posing was, and they told me I was, I did a great job and I was just, you know, very intrigued with the whole idea of modeling because I'd only ever been on the other side of the camera. I just kind of branched out from there and networked and did mostly local Farmville or Richmond shoots at that time and then started doing group shoots and then I would network with other models from different areas they would tell me oh you should check out this photographer or oh you're interested in doing rope work well you should talk to this photographer so it all kind of started just helping my friend set up his studio interesting and with that background in photography do you currently do any photography as well or is it just modeling now It is 90% modeling and about 10% photography. um, I'm not what they call, I hate this word, but a modelographer. I'm (laughs) 
definitely not labeling myself as a modelographer, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I did great, you know, back in the 35 millimeter photography class days. And so whenever a photographer finds out now um, that I, you know, took photography classes, 35 millimeter and darkroom based, they say, oh, wow, well, then digital must be a breeze for you. Well, no, it's not because with the 35 millimeter setup, you basically have three things to adjust manually for your photo. Mm -hmm. And for digital, it just, there are so many different settings and ways you can handle that. You can edit inside the camera. You can edit on your computer after the photos have been taken. It's just overwhelming to me. It's too many choices. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have hmm. um, a DSLR camera and hopefully I'll have more time in the future to kind of get more into that and, and learn, you know, the differences and how I can sort of manipulate those. I, I really love doing photos of old architecture, abandoned houses, barns that are collapsing, that sort of thing, like creepy urbex type situations or <laughs> rural abandoned places, which I also model in those places. It's one of my favorite genres, but I just love capturing kind of the dark beauty of places that were once thriving and now they're just kind of discarded well that's dark <laughs> yeah i know i know but i have both sides i have like the feminine happy pastel color side and then i have like my dark goth side as well so <laughs> yeah. i mean there's so there's something to what you're talking about about the old film photography and i'm not talking about necessarily the ansel adams style mm -hmm. of picking out your various you know, developing chemicals and stuff. That's a little ridiculous, but the kind of the nostalgia, nostalgic look of like the pictures you took in high school, right. From like an instant camera or from, you know, those little disposable 24 mm -hmm. shot ones that you threw them in the developer bin and got your little three by fives out. Right. Uh, to Imagine out that, to having to wait to see your photo. <laughs> And if you screwed up, then you screwed up that whole roll of film and it's gone yeah. forever. <laughs> no, but but I appreciate what you're saying, though, because I, I'm 42, so I'm about your age. Uh -huh. And I definitely like that early 90s. Like, I'm super nostalgic for that look. Yes. And there are, there there is a handful of specialized photographers who, who still do 35 shots yeah. and images. And... um. It's it's a little challenging because, as you said, unless you send the film away, which most of them mm, do, yeah. um, you know, you have to have the whole darkroom set up and the chemicals and there's the whole crazy shipping of chemicals, legal <laughs> issues. So, you know, you don't yeah. see that a lot, but um, I'm with you. I, I love black and white photography just generally, um, yeah. whether it be digital or 35. And um, hmm. I just feel like some of my friends call me the photography snob because I, <laughs> I generally prefer black and white, except in cases where I feel like the content would not translate as well in black and white. Yeah. I just feel like it classes it up, you know, and without all the extraneous colors going on, you are made to focus your attention on the theme, the subject of the photo. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's what I should do. I, I find what I struggle with in terms of digital photography is there's too many options. Yes. I, you know, get the, get the photographs off there onto, into Lightroom. And then I'm like, what do I do with it? I <laughs> so could apply these filters. <laughs> I could do black and white. We yes. could do high contrast. Like I just, I just struggle. I, I do too. And that, that's my main, I guess, mm-hmm. dislike of, um, digital photography. It's just, it overwhelms me. And then there's also the case of, I've spoken to um, my friend Anastasia who models and also does photography. I've spoken to her about this situation and she agrees with me when you're editing a photo and you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to change this contrast just a little bit. Okay. Now, all right should I tweak it a little more or leave it like that? And I feel like I always go just beyond where I should have stopped. Well, because every time you set it, it resets your baseline. You set it and then you look at it and you're like, "Uh, that's not bad, but let's go a little more. And then you're like, Oh no, that's still good. And then, but yeah, if you reset it back to normal, you're like, Whoa, I went way too far that direction. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm just, uh, I don't know. There are a few souls who say they love editing but i'm not one of those liars people. <laughs> all liars yes yeah. lies i'm starting to see the attraction i know there's some photographers some really nice rich photographers that'll buy like single purpose cameras that can only shoot infrared or only mm-hmm. shoot black and white but it does really simplify their editing it sure does if it only shoots black and white they don't have to dealing with a lot of stuff right maybe i should just maybe i should just pick like a preset in the camera and be like this shoot i am just using this preset and whatever comes out with it comes out there are people who do that and there are Hmm. photographers who have they have a particular style and they know those presets and their camera or their editing program stays on those presets yeah that that's helpful i just haven't figured out what my style is therefore i don't have those yet yeah. That's part of the adventure and the fun. <laughs> you mentioned that you started modeling in your 40s. Mm-hmm. That seems like that's definitely not the normal route for models. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> You're correct. I was about to turn 43, but in fairness, not trying to brag, but I do look a lot younger than my actual age. I'd I, I attribute that to good genetics and taking care of my skin. But, um, but yeah, I was 42. And like I said, it was not really something that I said, okay, I'm making the choice to model now. I just kind of stumbled into it and liked it and seemed to be doing okay with it. So, yeah. Um, but then when I started going to group shoots, following other models on social media, and that type of thing, I, I started to feel kind of more out of place, kind of uncomfortable at first, because it seems like the majority of models are like 18 to 30, mm-hmm. with the most, I think, being between probably 21 and 25-ish. And I mean, it, it makes sense because, you know, a lot of girls, I'm sure it's appealing to them and, you know, they're, they want to be the next big thing. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And you meet cool people, you make art, but then, you know, you're still starting your life out. You have your whole life ahead of you. So, you know, you'll meet someone, you'll get married, 
have kids, you know, get a different job. So I can see why that particular demographic is the majority of models. But at that time, when I started learning that I was way in the minority, it was actually really challenging because I would compare myself to these other models and you know, I would I weighed like 160, 170 pounds. They weigh like 120 on their heaviest day. They haven't had kids, so their body's still perfect. Gravity hasn't, you know, made things sag and droop yet. <laughs> and I would just like it would get I would get in my own head about it and was really uncomfortable with it for a while. But then I just decided people started people my age started coming up to me and telling me thank you, you know, for representing us positively and you know, you've inspired me to try this or, you know, or younger models even saying, you know, it's awesome what you're doing. I hope I'm still modeling when I'm 42 or 43. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, they start saying that to me and then I said, you know, why am I comparing myself to these people? I know better than anyone else that it's like apples to oranges, you know, you can't do that. That's just not, you're not going to have reasonable expectations if you do things like that. So then I started, you know, just seeing me as me. I started to feel better about myself and I was like, Hey, you know, for 42, I look awesome. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. stop comparing yourself and getting all in your head about not looking like a 20 year old. You know, been there and done that. Now it's someone else's turn. Do you see differences in the type of jobs you're offered? Or do you get the same types of jobs as younger models where the photographers are just looking for an older model? Both. Um, I see a variety. There will always be photographers who may not come out and say it, but you can look at their portfolio and see that they're only going to hire a certain body type. Um, a certain age category, possibly both. And that's okay. You know, what I don't like, what really pisses me off is when I know that's the situation, but they make up some other dumbass excuse or they ghost me, you know, mm-hmm. just, I'm, I'm a big girl. I can handle it. You know, just tell me, um, you're, you're not really the body type I'm looking for, for this, you know, or, um, you're a little older than what I wanted. That's fine. You know, I respect that. Everybody has a certain concept in mind and they know what they want to do. And if I don't fit that, that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I've had shoots that were specifically geared for my maturity level, but then I've also had, you know, co-model nude shoots, erotic shoots with, models in their twenties. And, so, and, you know, it really doesn't, doesn't bother me. I, I love to put as much variety in my portfolio as possible. And I love to see, you know, try these things out and see what I like and see what I'm good at. Because like, you know, if I hadn't helped that friend out and been a stand-in model that day, I would never have even known that, you know, that I had that skill and that I would enjoy that. You mentioned posing with younger models. Mm-hmm. Is that so? This is this may come back kind of weird, but you know <laughs> the whole 
mommy, stepdad, or stepmom thing lately? Is that kind yeah. of in pursuit of that? No. I had a pitch for a um, teacher and schoolgirl shoot one time. And, of course, I was the teacher, um, was going to be the teacher. Um, that one never worked out, but that's, like, the closest to the age play type thing that I've done in terms of photography. Um, usually I get asked to be like the dominant partner in a girl, girl shoot, like the dominatrix type. I I guess it's a vibe I give off, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, that's, I guess that's probably about as much as what you're talking about. I mean, I know, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like a whole genre of like porn and different things that that's, the draw, you know, it's like mommy daughter yeah. or mommy stepdaughter. I definitely enjoy um, shooting with other models. It's how I've made some of the best friends that I have currently in my life. And I'm definitely not too proud or above taking advice and tips and referrals from someone younger than myself. Um, hopefully we can mutually help each other out. I try to mentor new new models if they come to me or if someone a photographer that we have in common gives me their name and says hey you might want to introduce yourself to this person and offer any help if they need it so it's mm-hmm. fun to kind of have that mutual exchange you know how do you think your age changes how photographers treat you i i think in most cases it doesn't change how they treat me um Now, sometimes when I show up for the shoot, you know, they'll adjust certain things, poses and different things for me. But I wouldn't say that's because of age per se, because it's it's more about my body type and my curviness. Um, And I always tell everyone like straight up, you know, hide the mom belly whenever possible. you know, put an arm or a leg in front of it or tell me to, you know, move that pillow Mm -hmm. over there and the double chins we want to avoid. So I have that same problem. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not even kidding. You can relate, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I can totally relate. Yeah. But I think sometimes I'm probably treated with more respect for being older just because I feel like people know that with not even just modeling experience, but with life experience, I've probably encountered, you know, enough good, bad and ugly people to be able to tell how things are going to go down. And, you know, my tolerance for shit is going to be low, um, a lot lower than probably a 19 year old who's just starting out and doesn't know what he or she is doing. And I believe, um, you mentioned there are photographers, the bad ones that look for amateur or not amateur, but new models. No. Yeah. Um, I think, I think amateur is probably correct. Yeah. It usually, usually coincides with young. Yes. Um, for new model, inexperienced models. Mm, uh It's probably better. Younger. Right. That they think they feel they could more easily pull something over on or, what I hear a lot from the younger models is two things. One is getting complimented by a certain photographer 
over and over and over again and where like they're kind of finding their comfort level with that model like well, well can I say something about her ass okay okay so she was okay with that okay so can I say something about like her boobs you know and so they'll press it as much as they can to see like mm-hmm. how far they can okay well maybe well let's see if I can touch her you know like that sort of thing and then there's also the type of photographer who will tell you um, if you do certain things or certain content with them that they can make you famous, that they can, you know, just make you super popular and well-known and well-paid. And I mean, let's be honest, that's probably not going to happen. So. Yeah. The vast majority of dudes out there are not going to, or they're going to make you the wrong kind of famous. Right. And the vast majority, unfortunately, are um, what my friends and I and, and other models call GWCs, guys with cameras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're just out there to see naked women, basically. <laughs> you know, maybe they could talk somebody into doing, you know, erotic an erotic shoot. Because um, mm-hmm. it happens all the time, you know. And I'll tell people who ask me more inexperienced models who ask me, I'll tell them to definitely don't do your first shoot with someone as erotic, maybe not Mm -hmm. even nude. It all depends on that person's experience and your comfort level with them. It's always good, a good idea to talk to a photographer, either via messaging or on the phone. It, It always makes things a little more comfortable when you get there for the shoot. Cause maybe, you know, you, Oh, well, how's your dog doing? Um, or, you know, oh, you just moved. That's right. Oh, how's, how's the new place? You know, you all moved in. You, you have something to talk about and you kind of like know their, know their personality a little bit as opposed to going into it blind. Mm-hmm. But yeah. How, they, um, how often do you get the photographer to go out for a coffee or something beforehand? Um... I have had two photographers who wanted to uh, meet and kind of talk beforehand in person. And we did do like a coffee kind of, you know, meet at Starbucks or whatever and talk about what type of shoot we want to do, boundaries, limitations, what kind of content we want to get out of it, payment, rights to the photos. Um, everything that would go into an agreement, whether it be oral or documented. Um, I've had a couple, yeah, want to talk to me ahead of time, pre-shoot to get all that stuff straight. Um, but that's definitely the minority, but it has happened before. Interesting. Is it better to meet them in person? Would you recommend that new people do more of like a, a video chat call? Uh, just a regular say, phone call. I would say that would depend on the model. Um, I'm fine with just talking in messaging format, texting on the phone, whatever. But then again, and here's where the the weird new age part of me comes in. <laughs> you may laugh at this, but I'm I'm very intuitive and I'm very empathic about when I meet a new person and it translates even through messaging, 
I can tell a lot about a person just in their choices of vocabulary, um, their the way they approach things, there are certain phrases that they use. And I, I don't know, I can just like feel when a person is professional, when they're kind, when they're respectful. And then I, on the other hand, I also get negative vibes sometimes. So I have that going for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. whereas most people don't. Um, but yeah, I would say whether you do like a FaceTime or Zoom uh, versus in person, it all depends on you and what would make you feel most comfortable going into that shoot. Yeah. A big part of it is definitely intuition. I know I've heard that an awful lot of people do not listen to their intuition. Yes. Yes. You, you definitely should. Um, a few, I have all these stories. Um, most of them aren't my own, but stories of um, fate kind of intervening with people who found out later, um, well, I'll just tell you the story. Anastasia had, when she had just started out, maybe in her first year of modeling, she had booked with a photographer. I can't remember where he was exactly, but it doesn't matter. Not important. Um, she didn't know at the time that he was on pretty much every photographer blacklist that exists for being drunk at shoots and for being a huge curve and wanting to touch and wanting to push girls to do erotic content and like spread shots and things like that. Um, And so the day came when she was to go to the photo shoot and her car broke down and she never made it there. You know, you have so many people who, you know, that who knows what that saved her from. Because, you know, she was just starting out and the guy seemed legit and he has like an extensive portfolio. Technically, he's not that great. But again, when you're starting (laughs) out, you don't, you know, you don't have anything to compare it to yet. You know, being afraid to say no or not knowing enough about how a typical shoot goes or agreements that are made, you know, beforehand that can, you know, that can lead to trouble. So I I do have a story I could tell on myself where hopefully others can learn from it. One of my favorite genres is shibari, which is rope work, rope Mm -hmm. bondage. And I met a photographer messaged me on model mayhem and He saw that I had put Richmond as my location. He was coming to Richmond from Montana and wanted to do a shibari shoot while he was in Richmond. I get most of my paid gigs from Model Mayhem, or I did at that time. And so I was like, sure, you know, I I love shibari. I think it's beautiful. I really appreciate it as an art form, and I wanted to get into it. So I go to this hotel And the guys there, you know, all I had to go on was his Model Mayhem portfolio, mind you. Mm -hmm. So I get there and he introduces himself and everything. And he was very respectful, very nice guy. He knew what he was doing. He had like emergency shears for the the rope work, which we did have to employ at one point. (laughs) That was a little scary. But later... I'm thinking about it and I was like, 
you know what? I go 45 minutes from my home to a hotel room of a male photographer type who I don't even know at all. You know, I just only know him from a couple of brief messages on Model Mayhem. Not only am I basically topless, I think I I think I just had a G-string for that one, but he ties me up so I'm bound in a hotel room an hour basically away from my home. <laughs> and I look back on that now and I'm like, man, that was really, really stupid. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't check his references. I didn't talk to other models that he had worked with. Um, I didn't ask him a lot of the questions that I should have asked him up front. Um, yeah. So I just like, you know, I'm not above reprieve either. I've done these stupid things too. So now I try to like thoroughly check references and inspect people's portfolios. And I have, you know, standard questions that I ask, particularly if it's rope work, because Shabari is a whole, it's a whole different set of rules and standards and knowledge that you need to know to be safe uh, while you're creating this art. But I do love it, but um, you definitely need to have someone who knows what they're doing as a rigger. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a standard set of questions. What are mm-hmm. those questions that you usually ask? Well, my standard questions are typically as an unwritten kind of rule, if a model approaches a photographer about a shoot, then the model will pay the photographer for that, for that shoot unless otherwise agreed upon. And then it goes the other way around too. If a, if a photographer approaches a model, then the photographer pays the model for her services. And so that's kind of the standard that my friends and I go by. Now, there are exceptions. For example, if I have very particular special content that I want, and there's a photographer who is like the shit in that particular content, mm-hmm. and I really want their images in, in my portfolio, then, you know, I'm going to pay them for that, most likely. I mean, unless they say we can collaborate, which would be awesome, you know, but because of that specialized skill, I'm going to be okay with paying them. And then also, you know, if I'm experienced in a certain genre, like for example, bondage, which I am, not a lot of models do that. And so I have different rates for different content. And so in that instance, someone who wants um, a rope shoot or a shibari shoot, a fetish shoot, they're going to be more willing to pay me for that service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do have questions about, we'll get the payment straight or whether it's a collaboration, a TFP, which is fine. Do that a lot too. Um, and then we'll talk about the content. I'm a really big planner on my shoots. I have a whole notebook full of ideas, themes, and different, different things that I want to shoot. A lot of times it revolves around a certain idea or maybe a piece of wardrobe or a prop. I do drawings sometimes. <laughs> a lot of times 
it does call for particular wardrobe pieces and props that I may make or purchase. I'm not going to ask the photographer to do that. What is the idea? What content do we want out of it? Are there particular shots that we want? We need to talk about the location. We need to talk about backup dates, times, and locations if necessary, particularly, you know, like now in the winter months when you never know it's going to be 70 degrees today and an ice storm tomorrow, perhaps, Mm. because Virginia is like that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we talk about all those things. If I'm unsure about this particular person, if I don't know them at all, if they have a small portfolio, or if I get a weird vibe, I'm also going to ask, or not ask, I'm going to state that I'm bringing an escort. Now, sometimes, I'm going to tell one of my secrets here, sometimes I'm never planning on bringing an escort. I just want to see what their reaction is when I say that. Because if the reaction is absolutely Mm -hmm. not, you can't bring an escort, then I'm not shooting with that person. Yep, that's a giant red flag. Totally. Yep, you should always be allowed to bring an escort. And if you aren't, then you need to reevaluate that situation. (laughs) And I've even heard of people being allowed to bring their escort, but the escort has to stay in another room. And that's not cool either. Like, don't do that. Now, to be fair, I know because I witnessed it (laughs) that photographers have to put up with a lot of shit from like significant others, boyfriends, husbands, partners, whatever, who come with the model to the shoot as their escort. And I mean, if you're going to bring an escort, great. I'm all for it. But make sure the escort knows how to behave too. Like they need to just sit there and shut the hell up, you know, and definitely don't give pointers or, you know, say, oh, well, what if you did this? Or, you know, you got a hair down there in your face. You know, yeah, we know we're aware of all that, (laughs) but don't irritate the photographer. (laughs) So yeah, they have to put up with a lot sometimes. That's funny. Actually, on one of my first nude shoots, my wife was there. Uh And admittedly, this is on one of my first ones, but she had way better posing advice than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, now there, there are model coaches that get paid to go do that with the model. So that's pretty much what I discuss. And then I I have learned to have that photographer's phone number. Don't count on just Instagram messages or model mayhem messages because mm-hmm. things happen. You know, I travel many hours sometimes for shoots and I've had photographers travel to me many hours for shoots. We've had car situations. We've had sicknesses, you know, last minute mm. yeah. messages sometimes don't get to you in time. And then somebody has wasted God knows how long. And, you know, if it's the model, they've wasted the driving time, the gas, hair and makeup and wardrobe getting all beautiful for everything. And then the shoot doesn't happen. Or the photographer is packed and dragged out all his equipment, driven, you know, given up his time and the model can't show up, you know. So Mm -hmm. try to try to stay in touch with them at least 24 hours before the shoot. You need to touch base and, you know, be aware of 
um, a number to reach the other person. Where do you get most of your work? Uh, local groups, social media? You mentioned Model Mayhem used to be your main source of work. It did, just because at that time, and it was only five years ago, I'm acting like it was you know, in the Stone <laughs> Age period, ago. but in like the Jurassic era, but um, it seemed like the more, I don't want to say respected, but the more serious photographers uh, would go to Model Mayhem because they knew there they could find the more serious models. And, you know, they they may be looking for a model in a particular area, so you can search that area on there geography-wise. You can search you can search gender, age, size. So yeah, it really gives you like a lot of filter tools to narrow down um, your search for your model. And the same for, um, for photographers and videographers and body paint, things like that. So it's, it's a really cool website, I feel like. And I will I don't go there as much as I used to because now more photographers seem to be transferring their portfolios over to Instagram, but I'm not sure how that's going to go because Instagram's really cracking down on how much skin you can show. Basically. I mean, I'm, I'm on my last warning of having my professional account deleted, you know, because I showed butt crack one too many times or like this last, uh, image that I had removed. I had a bra that was um, purple, but it had sheer nude colored mesh like over my nipples, but they didn't see that. So apparently that got pulled for nudity um, or pornography as they call it, which violates the community guidelines. So, um, so someone had to have reported that, right? Because I see nude people on Instagram all the time. Well, Matthew, it's weird. And I don't understand Instagram at all. I don't even pretend to. (laughs) I don't try to figure it out anymore because at one time you could show a butt, you know, you could show Mm -hmm. uh, certain, certain times you could show breasts uh, in the kind of in the situation of breastfeeding or Um, if it has to do with mastectomies or that type of thing without any type of censoring, then it kind of went toward if you had on something sheer, that was okay too. Hmm. Now it's like some people can put a nude, like let's say the back view, you know, the rear end, whatever. Um, and it's fine and it'll stay there. But I might put up something extremely similar or maybe even less, you know, risque and it might get taken down. I I have no idea why certain people are targeted. I was told by one full figured model that we get uh, targeted a lot more because in their, I guess, scanning program or whatever, when when it perceives a certain amount of (laughs) flesh and skin it says, oh, nope, too much. We're going to take that photo down, um, which is discrimination, I mean, in all honesty. But, yeah. And then I've heard from others that if you're like Playboy or 
Armani or something like that, that has like millions of followers that you can get away with more stuff because you're making more money for Instagram, which is, which also sucks and is discrimination, <laughs> but yeah, I haven't figured that out. Cause the thirst traps are how Instagram built. Yes. It's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's all the teenagers that are doing the teenage thing. They just go to the next platform. They're all right. on TikTok now. Yes, they are. But then the <laughs> thirst traps are how they got like the thirties, forties, fifties, and 60 year old men on board. Right. And then being the thirst trap is how they got all the super hot twenties and 30 models on board. Yes. And like, you know, um, one thing I did do the first time I had my modeling account deleted, um, Someone, actually several people gave me the tip to go into my profile and change my gender to male. And they were like, I swear to God, it works. They won't bother you after you do that. And so I did it because no one sees that unless you go in there and look for it. So I did that and it worked. Like I was not bothered by Instagram for the longest, longest time. So go figure. I don't know. But it seems like when Facebook kind of merged with Instagram that mm-hmm. a lot a lot more things were flagged and a lot of accounts were getting deleted more often. I could be wrong. Maybe that's just my opinion, but that's what I feel like happened. Hmm. And here lately, I'm getting several messages a week of uh, folks wanting to wanting me to invest in their Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or whatever. Um, (laughs) They'll message me. And I've had three friends of mine, their accounts have been stolen by these, these crypto accounts. One model friend of mine, I had been talking to her. And then the next day she posted photo, a series of photos. One was like, her all happy holding her phone. And the next one was like a picture of her bank account with like $14,000 deposited into it. Hmm. And the caption said, I know, I know I didn't believe it either, but I invested less than $2,000 in cryptocurrency. And now this was deposited into my account today. Here's the proof overly sneaky and, and, and wrong because they're using this person's, bio and their photographs that are all legit so you know you gotta gotta pay attention Mm -hmm. all right so a few months ago someone that i follow on the not safe for work photography podcast uh social media instagram i believe mentioned that there's not nearly enough discussion on mental health as a model so i like to try and make sure that i've been hitting on that with each model Uh, Since I saw that, if we have time and it looks like we do. So what's your self-care routine after a shoot or before and after a shoot? Before a shoot, I generally, I I hate to rush and I hate more than that to be late, but I'm almost always late. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I'm telling you, I can plan. I can start like hours ahead of time and something is going to happen outside of my control to make me at least five or 10 minutes late. So I'm, I'm giving a mass apology right now on this podcast. So for future photographers that I work with, (laughs) I'm sorry, but I'm going to be late. 
So if you if you want to shoot at two p.m., just tell me one thirty. Let's just <laughs> let's just call it now for what it is. But I usually start with um, like a facial mask, kind of like relaxing, chilling. Um, drink some water because we all have to stay hydrated and healthy. Beforehand, I don't usually do anything special other than, like I said, I try to kind of not really meditate, but just have like some me time, some quiet before I start the whole process of the makeup and the wardrobe or the packing or whatever I need to do. Um, But after, after is when I almost always treat myself to French fries. Mm. So I I don't know. I get a salt craving. Maybe it's from my sweating nervously. I don't know, but I have hot flashes. I deal with hot flashes there. I said it, but (laughs) that's why you'll see me like, you'll never see me wearing a jacket. If you see me wearing a jacket, then I'm probably in Antarctica or (laughs) it's like the end of the world. And there's like another ice age coming, but, um, but I sweat profusely almost always during photo shoots and hopefully that'll go away soon. But I guess I sweat out all my sodium because then I want French fries afterwards. So French fries Mm. is part of the plan after shoots. And a lot of times I just like listen to my music. A lot of times I'll be traveling back home. So I'll listen to my music as loudly as possible Mm -hmm. and just drive home and eat my fries and chill. But, you know, people think that modeling, you just stand there and look cute. Um, but I've actually been injured several times modeling, particularly in like those abandoned house type things or yeah. out in nature, like climbing Rusty up on a big rock. Everywhere. Or, yeah. I slipped in a Creek once and fell and like <laughs> busted sucks. my knee. So I'm like hiding my left knee with my right knee. Cause there's like blood trickling down the side of my leg. And I'm like still no. finishing the photo shoot, you know, <laughs> trying to you look just, like you I'm just reach down. You wipe right? the blood away and wipe it across your face. And oh, then yeah. Keep going. I like that. I could have done that. <laughs> next time. Next time. Yeah, warrior princess. <laughs> right. But, you know, arching your back and turning and holding certain positions and like the upside down leaning off the bed boudoir positions and all that, mm. it makes you sore as hell afterwards and particularly the next day. And so, you know. We eat our French fries afterwards. You're feeling exhausted. You're starting to feel a little sore. Take some ibuprofen. Drink some more water to replace your your uh, body's water content. And uh, that's pretty much it for me. It's all about food. So I love food. Food is that awesome. That is why I am a chubby dude. <laughs> <laughs> full figured is what we say around here. I'm a full figured dude. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned ASMR earlier. Um, mm-hmm. That's one thing that I, I do to kind of self-soothe. Sometimes if I'm having like a hmm. depressive state, um, I'll wrap up in like a warm blanket and I have like some little twinkle lights in my room, turn those on and listen to my ASMR. And it almost always calms me down. And they have specific hmm. ASMR for anxiety or panic attacks, which sometimes I will listen to those as well. Yeah. I tend to, when I have depressive episodes, I I guess. So for anybody listening that doesn't know the difference between type one and type 
to bipolar. Type 1 is what most people think of when they think of bipolar. It has the crazy highs and the absolutely crazy lows and sometimes the manic and crazy behavior that Mm -hmm. you see from people with bipolar. Bipolar 2 has the highs and lows, but they tend to be more muted. If you're if you're looking at the wave diagram, uh, the highs and low, the highs are less high and the lows are less low. Yes, but can yeah. last for a, a fair amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife can definitely tell when I'm having a manic period because I'll be like, "Oh, I just started this project, and I just started this project, and we're doing this, and we're doing that." I had one last fall where mm-hmm. I did a whole bunch of stuff within like a month. And then I've been in a low for about two months since then. So, I mean, it's not, it's not too bad. Like I'm yeah. not, not sitting here with suicidal thoughts, right. but yesterday uh, I had a migraine and I went to bed early and the migraine was triggered from work and just being like, oh, this is awful. I hate my job. I hate my life. Sure. So. Been there. <laughs> been there. I get it. Yeah. One of the things that's really, that really kills me during the winter is not being able to be physically active. Uh, I know that that's not that's not a panacea or panacea, however you pronounce it. I think panacea is the way you should pronounce it, but I'm hmm. told actually panacea. I've, I've but panacea sounds word. weird. I've read the word, but I've never tried to say the word. Yeah, my wife makes fun of me all the time because every time I mispronounce a word, she knows that I've read it and never heard it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, at least you tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But regular physical activity helps me a lot. Uh, yes. I definitely... Try and get my 10,000 steps a day. Um, try to walk for, you know, half an hour or so, especially with the dogs. Good but job. of course, the last month here has been a little chilly and I got COVID a couple weeks ago. So oh, that was no, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was it was not a bad case. My daughter brought well, it home from school and we had a very mild case sweep through us, which How I'm super, she. super fortunate. <laughs> I have not had it yet. Knock no. on wood. When we originally kind of talked, you mentioned that you're in a pretty tight friends group with some other models, specifically mm-hmm. Anastasia May, Emo Hippie Chick, and Fervid Faye. Yes. They all appear quite often in your Instagram feed. Yes. I can count on one hand the models I've interviewed that have mentioned having close model friends. I don't know if that's just because it hasn't come up in conversation or if it's actually really uncommon. Uh, what led to you all guys all becoming such good friends? Um, well, you know, when you mentioned that, it made me think, um, uh, and I don't really know a whole lot of model groups who are close friends like we are either when I started to think about it, but I love those girls so much. Um, I met Fervid Faye first out of the group and she was just, she was just starting out modeling, but she's so mature and her approach to cosplay and everything is just so incredible and so detailed and so on target. And she has just this huge amount of creativity and talent. Um, I, I, you could have told me she'd been modeling for two or three years and I would have believed you, but Hmm. she was very honest about it just starting out, you know, and we started talking and we just like really clicked and hit it off and, we met with a mutual photographer friend. That's another thing. Like I have a lot of my photographers are my friends as well. You know, we'll, we'll text daily or hang out 
together sometimes, but um, met Faye in Richmond just to hang out with our photographer friend, Jimmy. We just were, we were just inseparable after that. I mean, she's, she's a great person. All three of them are. And I learned so much from her and she offered her, her apartment in Fairfax for me to stay there when I would come up and do shoots in the DMV, which is where the majority of my shoots take place. Um, and then I met Anastasia after she was the second friend out of the group that I met. She was having a particular bad day, particularly bad day. And she was coming back from Ohio, which is where she lived at the time she was moving back to Virginia. So we met up and we just like hung out in the hotel room and she stayed there overnight and we just laughed and talked like we had known each other forever. And I don't know, we, we were both Pisces. So we're like these very intuitive, emotional beings. And I don't know, we just hit it off as well. I introduced those two and then it was like this little tight circle and we would have dinners and things at Faye's place and we would like plan shoots together and things like that. We would give each other the dirt on different photographers and photographers, models do that shit. They will talk about you. So you better treat them right. And vice versa models. We talk about y'all too. Like if somebody acts like a diva or if someone's very unprofessional, we all talk amongst ourselves and we will talk to the photographers about you. So everyone needs to behave yourselves. And there, unfortunately, is where our discussion abruptly ended as my computer restarted. The site we were using to record the interview saved everything, but I was unable to get back on due to technical issues. If you'd like to follow Ayla, you can find her online on Instagram at Ayla.Evangelista.Official, on Model Mayhem as Ayla Evangelista, on FetLife as Ayla Moon 8, and there's a model safety group she wanted me to call out on Instagram at MidAtlantic Model Safety Group. And with that, we're done. Check us out at the NSFWPhotographyPodcast.com, on Twitter as at NSFWPhotography, Instagram at the NSFWPhotographyPodcast, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 